Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. In today's podcast, we are going to talk to Jamie McLaughlin and Dylan Clark about something, of course, that would be near and dear to my heart. My dad was a Marine. My dad served in World War II and the Korean War, and so did Staff Sergeant Reckless, who happens to be a horse. She was a Mongolian horse taken off the racetracks of Korea and helped carry shells up the hill to the guns and then carry wounded soldiers down the hill. And she did this 95% of the time by herself and they moved the gun so she had to find the gun. So let's listen to what Jamie and Dylan have to say about this historic horse, a fight or flight animal that stayed in the midst of fight and took care of her Marines and lived out her life at Fort Pendleton. So now let's hear what Jamie and Dylan have to say. Hi everyone, Deborah Hamilton, and I'm here with my two really good friends, Dylan Clark and Jamie McLaughlin. We're gonna talk to them today about why pets matter to them and a certain animal that probably will mean a lot to everyone. So before I let the cat out of the bag, I'm going to ask Jamie, welcome, Dylan, welcome. So glad you're both here. Thank you for having me. Hi, thanks, Deborah. So glad both of you are here. And Jamie, tell us first why pets matter to you. Okay, well, pets matter to me because they're individuals, they're, they're unique. They have their own likes and dislikes. They matter for themselves, you know, not just to humans. You know, we share a planet with them. They have their friends, they have their preferences, they have their enemies. I mean, we see that with our dogs and cats and pets at home and how they get along and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, the more I learn about animals, the more my view of them changes. I'm, I am so glad. And I, I want to make sure that I tell the audience exactly what you do, because you are really an incredible attorney. You're an animal law and environmental law attorney, and also you're the vice president of the Animal Law Commission Working Group of the International Association of Attorneys. You and I are both members of the International Association. It's UIA. I can't even possibly... Um, speak the French that stands for you, <laughs> but in English, it's the International Association of Attorneys, and both of us are on the Animal Law Commission Working Group. You are the vice president. I am a worker bee, and I'm glad to be there. So that's how Jamie and I know each other, and I'm so glad she's here. And Dylan, before I ask you the question, I am going to tell everyone that you are so wonderful as well. 
You've been a member of the service in the Marine Corps. Um, you are a tank commander. Wow, that is that is really important. Uh, you are a lawyer from, uh, you got your degree like Jamie did from Lewis and Clark. Jamie, you got your LLM from Lewis and Clark. Your law degree was from? DePaul in Chicago. That's what I thought, with a specialty in, in public interest, correct? Yeah, certificate in public interest and um, animal law LLM at Lewis and Clark, currently working towards my environmental law LLM. So these are two really incredibly smart, smart people. And right now, um, Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the vice president of operations for the Oregon and Idaho digital marketing for criminal defense firms uh, business. Does that right? Because I want to make sure I got it right. That's right, Deborah. So uh, I actually don't operate as a lawyer. I handle the business side of things. Uh, we operate uh, just handling the logistics and marketing for various law firms. And we find that that's at, uh, more financially lucrative and less emotionally uh, trying than actually doing litigation. Yeah, I know that feeling. That's why I, med I mediate now because the emotional issues surrounding litigation really can take a toll on the clients as well as the attorneys. So I'm so glad that you're assisting them in finding out that information they need. Uh, so Dylan, why do pets matter to you? Well, I, I definitely agree with Jamie. Uh, I feel like uh, pets matter in an intrinsic sense. They have emotions, they have internal lives. However, I, I, I personally feel that the reason that pets and animals more broadly matter uh, is because they've been integral to our development as a, as a species. I come from an archaeology background, and uh, with that, I'm familiar with how cats made uh, agriculture possible, how dogs made transportation and hunting possible. Transportation was revolutionized by horses. Communication was revolutionized by animals. So I feel that animals matter because without our animal friends, we would not have civilization as we know it today. I have to tell you, that is the most thoughtful reason yet in all of the why do pets matter to you? And I'm not saying that anybody else's isn't as important. It absolutely is. However, really contemplating how animals got us here. Uh, we didn't get here alone. Uh, we got here with the help of animals. We did figure out fire ourselves, okay, but uh, animals came to our fire and helped us and helped us hunt and do all sorts of things. So I love that you went to the place where if we're really thoughtful about it, animals have really enhanced our lives on so many levels that we don't necessarily see. So I'm so glad you articulated it. That is really, I'm going to sit with that because that was really impactful to me. So I'm hoping everyone who's listening finds that that answer was incredibly impactful to them as well. If they sit and look at their cat, their dog, their horse, their parrot, um, their fish, even their fish, uh, their snakes, their reptiles. I mean, all of them have a reason for being here and helped us get here. So thanks, Dylan. That was really impactful. I'm so glad. So we're here today, everybody, because there's a special reason why Jamie and Dylan um, came together. They've, they've sort of worked on something really important to me. So I wanted to bring it to you so you could hear about some information uh, and just contemplate it. And they're gonna share uh, a certain Marine Corps veteran story 
and it will really be interesting. So I think I'm um, going to start with Dylan, aren't I, Dylan, to start the story of how um, Sergeant Reckless came to your attention. Absolutely, Deborah. So I first encountered Reckless while I was training in the Marine Corps Officers Program. As a part of the Officer Candidate School, towards the end of the cycle, they have all the Marines uh, visit the Marine Corps Museum. And at the Marine Corps Museum, there's a little uh, exhibit for Reckless where it kind of gives her a brief history and it shows her medals and her rank and all that stuff. And that kind of just sat in the back of my mind for the longest time until I uh, took an animal law course at, uh, at Lewis and Clark. And uh, in that course, uh, I learned that traditionally speaking, under our jurisprudence, animals do not have rights or responsibilities under the law. However, um, in the back of my mind, that stood in contradiction to, to Reckless because having rank and having awards uh, grant you certain rights and responsibilities under the UCMJ, under, under federal law. So she seemed to be an anomaly, uh, to say the least. And I ended up writing a paper on it that was uh, later picked up by Jamie. So Jamie, tell me a little bit about what you thought once you read about Reckless, because she was sort of very special. We have to sort of identify what Reckless was, because it's important that we know that she was a horse. Yeah, oh, yeah. she was. <laughs> yeah, Sergeant Reckless was a Mongolian mare um, in the Korean War. The, I saw Dylan's paper, I read it and I thought, wow, this is amazing. I've never, you know, I had been interested in animals in the military and done some work in that area before. I had never heard of her. I'd never come across her. And so um, I picked up Robin Hutton's book, Sergeant Reckless Pride of the Marines. It's the, there are lots of books on her, they're all good, but hers is very well researched with a lot of detail, um, a lot of citation. I fact-checked a lot of it. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, this is a great idea, but were these awards like in an official capacity? How did this come about? So I took Dylan's initial research and then I ran down the details, um, the very fine points to see if these were, were real awards. So a little bit about Sergeant Reckless in the Korean War or what we call the Korean conflict. Um, Sergeant Reckless was a racehorse at the Seoul racetrack in Korea. Um, there was a group of Marines in the 2-5. They were the recoilless rifle team. They had these great big rifles. The shells are 75 millimeter shells. They're huge. They weigh a lot. Um, and they had a hard time getting these shells up to the guns because they were in a very hilly area. So the recoilless rifle team, the guys could carry maybe um, two rifle shells, maybe three. A big Marine could carry three. But you know, Eric Peterson had this great idea to find a pack animal. So he got permission, went to the Seoul racetrack, and that's where he found Reckless. And she was beautiful and intelligent. And he brought her back and um, Joe Latham started training her. And she really bonded with her Marines. She was so smart. And some of the things that we forget about animals is like, you know, our cats and dogs, we don't always give them all the stimulation they need. They sit around the house, they do their thing. But the more stimulation the animal gets, the more it can learn. 
the more it engages. And they did that with Reckless. They taught her things like how to step over barbed wire, how to run communications line, um, how to hit the deck, you know, how to run to her bunker when they said incoming. Um, they welcomed her as one of them. And she played a starring role in a major battle during the Korean conflict. So this is such an interesting thought process because we all know that our dogs and cats and birds and horses and parrots love to do things with us, love to have a job, so to speak. And so Reckless was a racehorse who became part of a Marine grouping or platoon or whatever. Dylan, it was, it was her, um, I guess, job to carry these shells up to the gun, but I think she did so much more. Absolutely, and, and she was so much more to the Marines. So uh, to give some background on how she got her, uh, her awards in the first place, uh, she came in, she was trained to be a pack animal, uh, and in the Battle of Outpost Vegas, and it was called Outpost Vegas because um, the, the commanders figured it was a gamble whether they could hold those positions. <laughs> So, and stay alive, uh, right? Exactly, exactly. So it was it was uh, a very dangerous position, and uh, the uh, during a battle when the outpost was being overrun, uh, reckless was ran uh, shells up to the mortar positions and then ran wounded marines back. And uh, bear in mind, she did this almost all of her her um, her runs were done without a rider. Uh, she was not about to let her Marines, uh, uh, she was not about to stop going out there for her Marines. During that period of time, she took shrapnel from mortar fire, and uh, still she refused to stop going back to the front to get her Marines. Uh, it's my, I, I, I grew up in the country, so I tend to really like horses. It's my firm belief that uh, Staff Sergeant Reckless saw herself as the as the leader of the herd. She saw herself as the matriarch and she was not about to leave her Marines behind. And uh, after saving countless Marines and uh, hauling, uh, it, was, it was literally tons of ammunition up to the uh, battle position. Uh, she was credited with the commanding officer for actually turning the tide of battle and actually winning the Battle of Outpost Vegas. And it was at that time that she was given the rank of corporal as well as uh, her, her purple heart and a silver star as well, right, Jamie? Did she receive that? Yeah, it's like equivalent to two purple hearts. It's a purple heart and a star. There yeah. we go. Yeah. yeah. So, and after that, uh, if she, if she wasn't already one of the Marines in her own mind, she was certainly one of the Marines in the in the eyes of the Marines. In the minds she, and the hearts of the Marines, she was caring for. Absolutely. So she would often come into their tents during cold nights and they would cover her with their blankets. So, and there was a funny anecdote where Reckless during a cold night came into the, came into the platoon uh, tent and uh, some young private tried to kick her out and he was accosted by the, by the <laughs> non-commissioned officers saying that horse outranks you. So she, not only was she one of them, she was a respected member of the platoon. It, it's so interesting to hear it. So here she was, she was carrying shells up to the gun, which, you know, were hundreds of pounds on her back. And then she had hundreds of pounds on her back coming back down because she was taking the wounded. 
nobody was directing her. She just knew I go up this way and I come down this way and I go up this way. So she really um, created her own job and worked at it tirelessly uh, because she really, it seems from what I'm hearing you say, she really felt she had a purpose and a mission and she wasn't going to let anybody get in the way even when she took shrapnel. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would like to add, um, you know, like Dylan said, I think that um, I forget how many miles she went during that battle, but she did make 95% of her trips alone with no one to guide her. And while we're talking about this, we're just saying, okay, she was going up and down the hill, but we have to remember about recoilless rifles. It was bombing, right. And and boys, I was going to say. So recoilless rifles, they can only fire them a few times from a single location because the enemy can see where they're firing from and then they can target the rifle. So not only was she making those trips alone, but they were moving the rifles on her and she had to go up and find the new rifle location, drop the ammo off and come back down. And it was such a fierce battle, one of the bloodiest, fiercest battles in Marine Corps history at that time. And it was purported that the incoming rounds were about 500 per minute. And that's unbelievable, so much so that the incoming and outgoing artillery was hitting each other in the air and exploding. It was like the 4th of July. And the noise, I mean, horses aren't good. They're fight or flight animals, right? So here's a fight or flight animal repeatedly going into the jaws, so to speak, of a battle with noise and rockets, red glare and moving. And she had to find us. So that meant she had to navigate a different way. God, she was such a terrific member of the service, so to speak, because she did hold a rank. She did get the Purple Heart and the Silver Star, which is fabulous. Um, and it was she the only horse that they took from the racetrack to do this or did they take others? Yeah, and let me just correct that. She didn't get a Purple Heart and a Silver Star. A Silver Star is like a different award. So she got a Purple Heart with one star. So when you get a Purple Heart, it's like a ribbon and then they put stars on it. You don't get like multiple Purple Hearts on your regalia. But yeah, so it's a Purple Heart. Yeah, two Purple Hearts. So it was a Purple Heart with a star on it, which is equivalent of two Purple Hearts. But she also got presidential unit citation. She got all the citations that her unit received. She also got Marine Corps Good Conduct Medal, which is a personal award. She got the international awards that everyone got for participating in the Korean conflict. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you hear about what she did, it's just unbelievable. When you when you mentioned, Deborah, that like horses have this innate fight or flight, it's unbelievable that she was able to accomplish that. And speaking of her awards, she is very unique. So one of the reason Project Reckless is working towards a veteran's benefit for her, which Dylan can talk a little bit about, is that she's uniquely positioned. She is the only non-human military member to ever receive official rank and official awards. Now, there are many uh, misconceptions, and we have very brave canines that have served in the U.S. military and other animals over time. They are often seen as given rank or awards, but those are never official it is an, just an honorary rank um, to remind people to treat them with care. And the awards that are ever given to a dog, it's, it's usually a human's award that they then give to the dog. There was one dog in military history. His name was Chips. He fought in World War II. He was an army dog. And he was actually given an official award, which was the Silver Star. And there was such an uproar about it that 
his official award was revoked. That leaves Sergeant Reckless as the only one. Wow. So Dylan, I'm hoping that you got um, a good conduct award from the Marines as well, because I know it's really hard to get a good conduct award in the Marines because they are so wonderfully um, militaristic. There, you know, there's a lot of good conduct going on. So I'm hoping you kept up with uh, Sergeant Reckless. So tell me a little bit about um, where she went, what she did, because the Korean conflict, the Korean war conflict was over. Then what happened after she had done all of this? Did they leave her in Korea? What happened to her? Sure, I can speak to that a little bit. So Deborah, like going back to the fact that um, horses don't like uh, noise. They don't like all that stuff. Um, she didn't She didn't behave in a trained response. You can't possibly train that type of behavior in an, in an, in an animal. She, she expressed a truly heroic, she, she expressed true heroism of her own volition. And after she displayed that, and it was uh, to General Pate. So General Pate was the guy who gave her her awards and her reign. Um, she later retired uh, to one of the bases at Pendleton and uh, where she received a further rank. So she, she, was, she went from corporal up to sergeant and then General Pate uh, promoted her again with uh, a parade and all that good stuff up to staff sergeant. So to answer your question, after the war, uh, General Pate, later to become Commandant Pate, the, the leader of the Marine Corps, um, took her over to Pendleton and cared for her for the rest of her days. Wow. You know, it it seems to me that she absolutely overcame all of her innate fears to work with the Marines. She became probably not only their savior in that she was providing them with the rockets to defend themselves with and the ambulance to come down the hill if they were hit as well. So she was a rocket deliverer and an ambulance, so to speak, to bring them back down. She was Florence Nightingale uh, bringing them down. Uh, And then she went back to Pendleton, which was great because they had to bring her home from Korea. And I think that the commandant definitely recognized her as something above and beyond just Uh, an animal in the military because she did go against all of her instincts and all of her, uh, you know, innate desires to run to help these Marines and save probably many, many lives. Yeah, the only thing that I can figure is, again, she saw them as her her herd, and the matriarch doesn't leave her herd behind. And that's one of the few times you'll see horses get aggressive is when they're uh, a mother defending their herd. So she obviously imprinted on her Marines in like a, a very heartfelt way. So yeah. so, so um, how long did Sergeant Reckless live and what happened um, when she transitioned uh, over the Rainbow Bridge, so to speak, as we pet owners, unfortunately respond, but you know, I'm sure a Marine doesn't, maybe he does. Well, So Sergeant Reckless, yeah, sure. So she was actually transported back by Andrew Gear. Andrew Gear wrote the first book about Sergeant Reckless. He um, also wrote uh, other books, like he wrote The Sea Chase that John Wayne starred in and other things. So he was a great Marine and he wanted to make sure, everybody wanted to make sure she didn't end up as a cart horse on the streets of Seoul after she had served so valiantly. They arranged, I mean, she wasn't military property. She had been purchased by Eric Peterson. 
So they arranged separate transport and, and Andy Gear was largely responsible for getting her back to the United States. She landed in San Francisco. Um, she attended some wonderful events um, in San Francisco. Celebrating and, her bravery. Yes, uh, you know, taking a bite out of the cake before, you know, they cut it, the whole nine. She really had a great time. She got to ride in an elevator. So um, then she ends up in Pendleton and she continues to serve down there. Um, helping with drills and all of those things. And like Dylan had mentioned, um, the Commandant, um, Randolph McCall-Pate, had promoted her to um, Staff Sergeant E6. Now, during that time, they changed the ranking system. And so E6 was modified and she was eligible for another promotion. So she's got two promotions to E6. Seems kind of weird, but it's because they had a change in the, uh, in the ranking. And then they put together, uh, they decided to formally retire her and they put together a complete retirement ceremony with a parade. Um, she was honored for her service and they always pay out the Marines with their pension and all of those things. And so in lieu of a pension, um, they declared that she would have permanent room and board at Camp Pendleton Step Stables for the remainder of her life, like Dylan mentioned. Um, there's a cute bag uh, of oats with a dollar sign drawn on it and some Marines holding it next to her, like right after the retirement ceremony. So um, she actually passed away a few years after that. So I believe her date of death was 19, in 1968. It was actually quite a tragic accident because she was at pasture and step stables. Um, she had plenty of um, opportunity and experience with barbed wire because she had experienced that when she was working for the Marines, but somehow she got herself tripped and tangled in barbed wire and fell down a ravine and was seriously injured. By the time they went out to find her, you know, to put her in the inn for the night, um, she was in bad shape. So they had brought her back. The veterinarian couldn't do anything to help her. So un unfortunately they had to euthanize her at that time. They buried her hastily behind the offices at Step Stables because they weren't planning to lose her at that time. Um, so about two years later, they um, they erected a little monument to her at this at the entry to the stables, and they relocated her remains to that area. So that's where she is now at, at the entrance of Step Stables at Camp Pendleton. Wow, that's that's such a, a an unfortunate outcome considering she had navigated so much danger uh, in Korea, and then to have something like that occur. So, what's next for her if if um, she's got a monument at Pendleton? What would be the next thing that might uh, honor Reckless for her uh, wonderful service to the Marines? Do you want to take this, Jamie, or should I? Dylan, this is your idea. I'm going to make you take now, it. All right. Well, Deborah, right now, um, Staff Sergeant Reckless is in a place where no one can visit her. They ha they'd have to get permission from command to go on base to be able to visit her. Uh, what we would like to see happen is for her remains to be relocated either to Arlington or to Quantico. So we'd like to see her in a veterans memorial cemetery where people can visit her and pay her her due respects. I think that is probably one of the most incredible honors that could be given to an animal that saved so many lives and actually was seen as a member of the, the core 
you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. So she was a member of the Corps in everything except species. Um, so she really, you know, uh, attributed a lot of the Marine um, ethics to everything that she did. So I, I, how far have you come with that and how's it going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Dylan conceived this idea. And like I said earlier, I ran down a lot of the details. Um, it's important that to apply for a veteran's benefit, which is what we're doing and what, you know, Dylan had thought of and, you know, where I picked up the project. Um, it comes down to, did they earn these details? Were they, you know, did they earn these benefits? Were they a Marine? What does that look like? And based on all of the research and the fact that her, not only were her um, promotions official, her rank promotions, uh, but the awards that she received qualify her for National Cemetery ben uh, burial benefits. Um, she could be buried at any National Cemetery. We think that there are two really appropriate places for her. One would be Arlington National Cemetery. And that's for multiple reasons. First, General Randolph McCall Pate, who promoted her, is buried in Arlington. And I have visited his grave there. Um, secondly, Andy Gear, who wrote the first book about her and was responsible for making sure she was transported safely back to the United States and back to Pendleton. He's also buried there. And I've went to visit his grave as well. I think that because they're there and because she has two purple hearts, which are a qualification for Arlington, Arlington does have heightened um, requirements than other national cemeteries because of the prestige. It is the most hallowed ground uh, for military burial in the United States, but she qualifies for it. Secondly, another option would be to bury her at the cemetery, the National Cemetery Quantico. That's very near where Dylan first came in contact with her, which is the National Museum of the Marine Corps, which is in Triangle, Virginia. And there's also, we should note, Robin Hutton has been instrumental in spreading her story. And not only is this display there because of Robin, there is a beautiful statue um, for her that has been erected and in Semper Fidelis Memorial Park, which is the beautiful outdoor sculpture park that's adjacent to the museum. She has other sculptures too, which are, uh, there's one for her at Pendleton, right outside the Starbucks. If you all need your coffee, you can visit her there. Give permission to go on base. Um, there's one in Ocala, Florida, um, and there's one, I believe, in Barrington, Illinois. There's a handful of statues, but we can't see her if she's at Pendleton. And we have the most people in the United States tour Arlington every year. And on those tours, those guided tours, they hear about why Arlington is significant. Who are the people buried there? And we just feel that that would be the best place for her based on spreading the story. And, and it's not just about reckless. You know, the Korean conflict is al also called the Forgotten War. You know, um, not everyone is recognized for, for what happened in Korea and those men should be recognized and remembered. Having a Korean War veteran memorialized at Arlington in such a special way will bring more attention to those veterans and the Korean conflict itself. Absolutely. I, I think that because she was part of a war that wasn't necessarily as honored, if that's the right word to use, as others like World War II and 
um, the Vietnam War with its Vietnam War Memorial, uh, being able to bring her remains somewhere where people will actually see it and learn more about what she did and what occurred uh, during the Korean conflict would be so educational and so correct for um, a core that honors its own uh, fearlessness um, and bravery, which of course, as both of you have shared here, uh, Reckless was chock full of fearlessness and bravery, as well as, you know, Dylan, you said she, she was the matriarch. She took care of the Marines in her care. Uh, and, and so do, I think for people who are still alive, who remember Reckless, it would be something that they would be able to remember the war um, maybe fondly is not the right word, but with a bit of uh, camaraderie that this this wonderful staff sergeant now uh, was there to help them because, as you said, she was in the, the commissary, uh, she was in the tents, so she was not only providing them with shells and um, ambulance service, but I'm sure her her mere presence, and I don't know, Dylan, if you can add to this from people you've spoken to, um, or Jamie, I'm sure her mere presence in that theater of conflict was um, grounding for the Marines who were there, because we all know the human-animal bond is so necessary for people, especially in turmoil and depression or with anxiety. And if you weren't depressed or anxious or fearful uh, in Korea, there probably was something not going for you, but she probably brought some grounding to the Marines who were in her sphere. I think that that's, there's no doubt about that. Um, maybe Jamie can speak to if there's any um, anecdotes on this, but <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, she was such a hilarious little troublemaker. I mean, the stuff that she did was so funny. I mean, she would go as far as playing jokes she knew how to harass certain Marines. Um, you know, there was one who, when he would go out into her pasture to like bring her in or whatever, she would run away from him, turn around, put her ears down and bare her teeth. And everybody knows what that means for a horse. And she would come running at him as straight at him as fast as she could. And then she would hit the brakes right before she would end up colliding with them and veer off. And she was doing this for her own amusement. She'd prance around after ha 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 you know, her little joke, she would sneak around and eat food she wasn't supposed to. You couldn't even hide. They would call, so like in the um, the rations and stuff that they got, they would sometimes get some candies and stuff like that. They'd refer to it as pokey bait. They'd try to hide it, but Reckless would trash their tent. You know, if she was on the loose, watch out, because she would go in there and if they tried to hide it, she would turn everything upside down until she located it. You know, yeah. she they forgot not more food. Yeah, they forgot oh, yeah. the nose because you cannot really hide anything from an animal with a nose, uh, which most animals have noses, because they have such a hyper sense of smell that, you know, you'd have to hang it from a tree um, in order not yeah. to have, yeah. Well, Good she liked her. to go, yeah, she went to uh, drink beer with the guys. Um, <laughs> the They didn't have a veterinarian on staff, but they had a doctor who was constantly warning them she can only have like one or two Cokes a day. You're going to ruin her teeth stop giving her so much beer you know like she would she would celebrate with the guys she was one of them god i would love to see her on a, after a drunken night out with the marines boy she must have been 
that was a, that was unbelievable. Did you hear about any of that, Dylan? Her drunken nights with the Marines, or she just was always she left early. I think she left early, but you can see some cute pictures of her, like at the Marine Corps ball, having a beer. Oh, fabulous. Well, there are certain things that that we need to take away from this today um, because Reckless was a special, special Marine. And in order to help her maybe become even more well-known, what are, say, key points you'd like everyone who's listening to this podcast uh, to take away? Because there's, I know there is um, a petition they can sign. Um, And, you know, if you're a Marine, you know, this is a Marine. So tell me what what everyone who's listening today can take away because I have so many things here beside the fact that she was almost human, uh, that she was fearless, which was totally against uh, her innate um, uh, responses as a horse um, and that she had a sense of humor. But what would you, th- you two take away? Yeah, I think the main takeaway is to recognize that She was not a horse. She was a heroic Marine that served valiantly in the Korean War conflict. And uh, as a a heroic Marine, she deserves to be remembered as such in a veterans uh, cemetery, preferably at either Arlington or Quantico. I have to with the Marine first. Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I agree complete with with Dylan. Um, Dylan started a change.org petition So we are asking for burial benefits for her um, from the National Cemetery Administration. And um, we would like to get some, this is a grassroots campaign. We would like to get some public support. We wanna know if if people agree with this effort. If they do, we would love for them to please sign the change.org petition and share it on social and, and spread the word about this. It's so important to get the information out there because whether or not there's a a difference between being a Marine and being a horse who's a Marine, uh, she created this um, legacy that we're trying to honor as a Marine. And so for anyone who's listening here, all the show notes will have where you can go to register your thoughts regarding Reckless and her uh, and Dylan and Jamie's mission to try to have her recognized and buried in a national cemetery uh, so that people can really know about Reckless, what she did and how she helped her Marines as a Marine. I mean, that's what my takeaway is. Anything else you both wanna add because this has been such an informative conversation Um, I love that she had a sense of humor because of course animals always do. And the fact that she totally, you know, Dylan, at the beginning, you talked about how animals have changed our life. I'm sure she absolutely changed the way things were done in Korea because of her bravery. Absolutely. Yeah. She, um, she changed the course of battle. She saved countless Marines lives. There, there are, um, there are people walking around in America today that have a grandpa because of uh, reckless. And that's a, that's an amazing thing. And I think that to, to your point, she embodied the, uh, the spirit core of, of the Marine Corps. And that's an important thing to recognize. Jamie, any last words? Semper Fidelis, Semper Reckless. Uh, <laughs> reckless, absolutely. <laughs> 
Uh, of course, always hoorah. My dad was a Marine, so I can tell you that uh, that that core runs deep. And so I'm hoping that we can get some more attraction for this um, and people recognizing what's being done. Um, and until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton. I'm so glad that Dylan O and his cat. Who's the cat, Dylan? This is Bastet. Bastet, we love it. She's, yeah. she's like, okay, Dad. Time to get off. And yeah. James, thank you so much. Both of you are doing wonderful work, and I look forward to hearing more. And please come back because we'd love to hear the next steps, what's happening, what else we can do. Uh, so until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton, the Why Do Pets Matter podcast, and Take care, everyone. Kiss your babies for me, especially Bastet. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.